Hello friends, welcome to Feeling This Life. We're a family support podcast that dives deep into the triumphs, challenges, and strategies that are part of the lives of those who care for children with blindness and visual impairments. I'm Paige Maynard, and I'm a teacher of the visually impaired and an early interventionist at VIPS, Visually Impaired Preschool Services. And I'm Dr. Kathy Smith, and I also have been a teacher of students with visual impairment for many years, and now I am the Director of Research at Anchor Center for Blind Children. I am Jenny Castanier, and I am the Family Services Coordinator at VITS. I am the mother of three girls, and my youngest has a visual impairment. everyone, Paige here. We wanted to let you know that you may hear some background sound in today's episode as the HVAC system came on during the interview. We've done our best to edit out the background noise and hope that you enjoy the empowering and insightful information you'll hear as our guest tells her story. Thank you. I'm here today with Haley Raymer and you are mom to Savannah. And she's a sweetheart, so can you tell us a little (laughs) bit about her? Savannah is a sweetheart. She is um, two, and she was born with a really rare brain malformation. Um, I won't get into the technical because it's a lot. But because of that, she has secondary diagnoses of uh, CP and cortical visual impairment. So that's why we, how we found VIPS and Miss Page. Mm-hmm. Um, but she really is just, she is so sweet. She just really loves to snuggle and be close to someone. Um, yeah. Yeah, she's a snuggler. And CP, yeah. tell us about what that stands for. Uh, cerebral palsy. So she has stage five um, spastic quads. So all four of her limbs are affected. Um, mm-hmm. And she is very spastic, so very tight a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And we've been working together, how long have we been working forever. together? It feels like, yeah, it feels yeah. like forever. Like, I've, I've just, you've been with me, I feel like, just for as long as it's been. But how long? Ah, maybe a year and a half. A year and a half, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm your teacher of the visually impaired. That's on yes. your team. Um, you have other providers as well. Yes. But, um, so today, one of the things that we get to talk about, which I'm excited because I think it's cool that we, I don't know if we've ever like actually sat down and talked about it like during one of our home visits, but I think I'm excited to talk about Savannah's social skills and how that looks for her as a person with a disability and a person who has a visual impairment. Yes. So um, one of the things I thought was really cool that we had talked about before and, you know, if we just kind of touched on it was um, how you, you talked about when we first met each other, that she had some struggles with joining in to social routines and stuff like that. And and then now you talked about, you've talked to before, like about how like you went to the swimming pool and you have those kinds of times. So I don't, just tell me about what social skills and her social life looks like. Yes. Well, to be honest, uh, she doesn't, she did not have, very much social socialization. She came home right before the pandemic hit. So I don't really call her a pandemic baby, but we kind of, for the first half of the pandemic, we were kind of bubbled in our house. We did a lot of our sessions on Zoom with you 
and her other providers. So yeah. she was really seeing people through a computer screen for the first year of her life. Um, and then this year, our swimming pool was open because uh, people started obviously getting vaccinated. And that was a little bit of a struggle in a new surrounding um, because I feel like, again, for the first half of her life, she was like in a little protected bubble of her house and then being in a place where there was lots of kids and lots of noise. So mm -hmm. this summer, I really feel like I started picking up on her. She's nonverbal. So as a mother with someone who has a disability and they can't vocalize, I really started catching her um, emotional cues, which mm -hmm. I thought was really interesting um, to kind of go through that process of her starting to communicate in her own way. So I, so I got to really focus on and learn about when she's in an uncomfortable situation mm -hmm. um, and how she relays to me that she does not want to be in that situation. So the pool was kind of one of those situations where it was always hit or miss as far as like, is she going to be okay today? Or is this going to be very overstimulating for her? Uh-huh. So whenever you talk about like her cues and how she was letting you know and how she lets you know, what situations are helpful for her, what things are bother her, what are her cues look like to you? It's funny because I remember with my first daughter, who's neurotypical, people would always tell me like her cries, you're going to be able to tell what she wants by the different cries that she has. Mm -hmm. So and it's kind of that same concept with Savannah, not necessarily crying, but if she's making a noise or, um, and it's even harder with her for like with a visual impairment too because she can't necessarily look at what she's wanting or look mm -hmm. to what she's doing because she's got an impairment there. So her whines um, and her different where she doesn't vocalize but she will make noise. I can tell when something's like a happy noise mm -hmm. or when it's a noise um, or like a grunt or some a, a whine I can tell if it's happy or a sad so I started mm -hmm. picking up on those different like whines or those different um not words but vocalizations because mm -hmm. her vocalization is different than words so so like when it, like so you started picking up on her cues you know whenever you guys are at the pool what about before you started picking up on the cues or like did when did you start picking up on yes. them and like how what was it like before, or I don't even know if there was a time like before you understood or before you were responding to them. Like, what was it like before? So I could tell that she loves being outside. And I think she loves like noises of like birds and just like the outside element. Going near the pool and in the pool was a struggle. Um, I think a lot of sensory overload for her if we were in the actual swimming pool. So she would vocalize in her way. And I always say, like, if it's a succession of three, I know whether it's a happy thing or a sad thing. If she's, quote unquote, telling me three times, like, I don't like this or I do like this, that's my way of starting to, like, pick up on her feelings, mm -hmm. if that makes that's, sense. I think that's really cool. And, you know, it's like, of course, you know, like, any, yes. like, telling somebody three times, but, like, 
to have that like a, like as your rule of thumb that like yes. okay she's communicating this to me three times she's telling yes. me that she's struggling and you know you need yes. to make adjustments or whatever um so then like after you started doing that how did it impact her participation and everything in her interactions with you and everybody yeah. else at the pool I think it's just a way of in general her being able to communicate because she communicates in a different way than talking or with words or even with sight because she doesn't have that advantage of even being able to look necessarily at something mm-hmm. um, so I think that has turned in her in her way of kind of communicating and you know again like the the thumb of rule of the three like if she's mad about something and I can see it three different times and I know or if she's happy about something so like when we would get in the swimming pool I tried different times because even at the end of the day you know she's still a child and I still want her to experience all the things that any kid would experience so but she definitely told me in her way three times, multiple times, that she did not (laughs) like the swimming pool. Uh, But then she would like being outside, so she would be very calm and um, serene if she was just sitting in her wheelchair Mm -hmm. outside under a tree. Um, So I I can kind of pick up on that kind of... Yeah, so it was like she she could let you know that... I, I, I like being here, but what I like doing is... Sitting and hanging out and enjoying listening the noises, to the sound yes. and all that kind of stuff. So, and it also sounds too like it helped. And tell me, I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth or not, but like it sounds like it helped you to like increase that connection with her because you yes. knew what she wanted, and yes. then therefore everybody was happy too. Yes. Well, and yes, you're absolutely right. the The swimming pool this summer, it was closed last summer because of the pandemic. So. I just kind of used the pool, like, uh, as a uh, base of, like, that was her first social interaction with, like, other people, other kids, mm-hmm. was going to our swimming pool. So that's kind of always been, like, my base. And then, like I said, I, I kind of use that as a guide of starting to pick up on her communication. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So... Like, just thinking about the pool, or, you know, really, it can be anywhere if if you're thinking about, like, her connections and stuff with others. Like, what kinds of things have you seen, like, that she enjoys or, like, that she's responded to in her relationships with others? She definitely loves school now that she's in... And school loves her. School loves her. <laughs> she loves... I, I don't think we've had a bad day yet at school, um... She likes having other kids her age to interact with and other kids that are like her Mm -hmm. to be able to interact with. Um, I think inclusion is so important, but then also her being surrounded by other children that learn and see the world, quote unquote, the same as her, Mm -hmm. is also important. So school has definitely been a, a big step in strengthening our social skills um because she has to be with other people and other kids for that three hour window she does have the teachers told you anything about how she's 
interacted with the other kids or responded to their play and stuff. The other kids love her. She's the only one um, in her class, her particular class, that is in a wheelchair. Um, So they love helping push her and sneak things in her wheelchair uh, little basket. Um, And she seems to really enjoy hearing the other children. Yeah, I have to say, because I'm in the classroom sometimes (laughs) whenever she's in there uh, working with her, it feels like she is so, like, she smiles so much when the other kids, like, talk to her and she'll vocalize back and it's like, oh, yeah, like, she's making friends and, uh, you know, it, it is it's in her own way, I think, yes. of communicating and building sure. connections with others. But, like, when you guys come in the room or, like, after you do drop off, you know, we have, like, the routine of, the, you know, these are the things yes. that we do, you know, like, we sign in and stuff. But what she appears to be most interested in, because she's, like, looking around for, like, where are the other kids? Because, yes. like, she'll hear them. Yes. And that's, like, the, the thing that seems like she wants to do that. Like she wants to figure out where everybody is and what everybody's doing. And then whenever somebody comes over and has a toy or whatever, and they like give it to her, put it, you know, like in her hand or put it on her chest or something, (laughs) then it's like this like huge smile and then she laughs and, you know, so like she's making her friends, you know, and I think that's super awesome. Yes. Um, So one of the other things, because like now you're an experienced mom with your daughter starting to make friends and you know interacting with you and you know how to read her cues and stuff what kind of advice would you give to other families um about what they might expect for their child's social life to be like um I think as a whole just I was given the fortunate situation of having her during you know the pandemic and so we spent a lot of time at home and then again like the swimming pool was kind of our first social outing Um, where she was really in a setting. So I really got to pay attention to her cues. My advice would be to set aside some time or just observe when you're in a social setting. Um, Observe their behavior. If they can't vocalize like Savannah Mm -hmm. or they can't talk, Mm -hmm. um, really observe their behavior because you know, you're their parent. You know them better than anybody. Yeah. Um, and if they're uncomfortable, I feel like as a mom or as a parent, you're going to be able to tell if they're in, uncomfortable or if they're happy in that social setting. So, you know, just really observe and watch and try to learn their cues because, um, you know, especially with Savannah not, you know, being nonverbal and having mm-hmm. a visual impairment, our communication is definitely going to be a lot different. Mm-hmm. So, my advice would just be to try to observe and pick up on your child's cues when you're in that social situation. Yeah, I think that's really important, definitely, yeah. to to know that your your child might not communicate like others. And really, like, nobody communicates like yeah. anybody else. <laughs> yes. You know, like, everybody has their own, like, nuances way. of the yes. way that they interact with others and like the same is true for your child whether or not they have a special need um but then there may may be like specific things you know that are are going to be unique about if your child has a visual impairment or other things that are going on so
Well, I'm also curious. Not like I've asked you all the questions, but like, is there anything you're thinking about that you just want to say about kids with visual impairments and their social skills, or anything yes. I haven't asked? I don't know if you have any feelings about it that no. you want to share. Well, I think for me, processing her visual impairment was almost harder than processing her like brain malformation Mm -hmm. you know with her brain malformation medication and surgeries that's going to control all of that Mm -hmm. with her visual impairment that's not something that can necessarily be you know that's going to have to be savannah's that's going to have to be savannah coping with that with the for the rest of her life Mm -hmm. um i know you know cvi can get better but i feel like she is always going to have an impairment there with her vision and um so I know me and you have talked a lot about, I had a lot of stress and anxiety about her vision and her impairments there. Um, finding a place for your child and advocating. I know I probably advocated to you and you were like, lady, I'm doing it. I'm helping you. But um, really advocating for your child and just being their voice and their eyes and mm-hmm. all of that because well, you know, they're your child, but also they're going to be in situations eventually without you, like when they go to school. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to um, advocate and put them at the best place. Mm-hmm. So for us, VIPS was, you know, easily the best place for Savina because of her impairment. But um, you just got to advocate for your kid and Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was so awesome. I think that's great that she talked about um, how important it was for her to learn her daughter's cues because research tells us so. Dr. Deborah Chen has research that shows one of the most important things that we should be working with families on in the first year is helping them to understand their baby's communication because sometimes children with visual impairment don't have the same kind of communicational um, communication or gestures or they look a different way or they quiet instead of um, what we're used to seeing with eye contact and things Mm -hmm. like that. So it's so important that at Anchor Center, we're actually starting to use an assessment where we video families interacting with their children for 10 minutes and we help them by um, talking about what are they doing right and what can they do for the next steps. So it's really, really important to have that communication as a foundation. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think um, knowing your child's cues just kind of happens. Like you need to make sure that you're trying to learn cues, but at the same time, it just happens when you don't even know it. Um, like, for example, my daughter, the first time that we set her down in grass, she kind of like tensed up and pulled her feet up. And I was, and so I, you know, took her hand and kind of touched it and said grass. And I knew immediately that she didn't like it. Um, but I didn't know, you know, if it, because it was something new or, or what, but I could tell by her cue that she wasn't comfortable with it. 
And then now knowing her, it's funny because I'm sure now it was a cue because now that she's seven years old, she hates going outside. Like I have to force her. And she's like, how long do I have to stay out here? So it was a cue of what she likes and what she doesn't. So I think it's, you know, you try to think about what they're doing and what cues are. And then one happens and you don't even realize it happened. That's a great example of what we call responsive parenting, which is a super important skill for everybody to have. That's right. It makes me think of how whenever we break down that idea of social skills, kind of from such a, a basic level, it really is just reading and responding to cues, you know, in early childhood and then we even think up to like when we're adults you know all of our social relationships are built on how are you able to read and respond to others um, in a way that builds that social relationship Um, and I think that that's one of the the really interesting things about the story that Haley told about her and Savannah that really what they're doing and Jenny I think what what you are doing whenever Hannah was younger and, you know, I'm sure now as well is building that secure attachment. And that's the foundational social relationship that we build so many of our other relationships on as we get older. And so the reading and responding and being responsive to your child's cues helps so much with uh, you know, filling that security so that you can kind of build that confidence and then you can build other relationships. And so I, I, I also, in thinking about how when Haley was talking about them going to the pool and, you know, for her, you know, kind of the immediate thought was to like put Savannah or put Savannah into the pool and let her swim and, you know, do all the other things that maybe some of the other kids would have been interested in, you know, as kind of this like, oh, it's this big thing that they're doing. Um, But she was able to pick up on Savannah's cues. And Jenny, you're able to pick up on Hannah's cues about what she actually thought was interesting and what she wanted to do. And I think a lot of times uh, we're, we're, we kind of, we look for those like big opportunities for, for our kids to like, you know, have these just crazy amazing interventions or we're looking for that like big thing that's going to like rock their world but really rather Mm -hmm. than it always being that big thing that kind of propels them forward I think it's all of those little things that add up together and all of those little interactions that we have where we just slowly build that connection with our children and we help them to feel secure in their relationship with us, which builds their confidence, which which helps them to be more curious, which helps them to keep learning more. And then it's just kind of uh, the snowball effect, I think that uh, continues throughout their childhood and and also into their adulthood. So, you know, like for Savannah, it was listening at the pool together. And like, I think about all of the, the things that actually can come of that, that Savannah and Haley will do or maybe are doing together that that will kind of build upon you know Savannah's so interested in the birds wouldn't it be so cool um if their interactions together looked at you know oh what what bird sounds do you hear or who do you hear over there and then that moves into all of the other things that happen from that and it's built upon that connected social uh exchange and that that bond that they build um, so I just think social skills are so interesting 
uh, as we think about how they're connected with being responsive and building that attachment uh, early in life. And now that Savannah can share or can can feels comfortable in sharing those experiences with her mother, now she can share them that she's in preschool with her friends. So yes. it takes time to to move from one step from being with that one person or those two people that you feel comfortable with all the time to being able to share it with other people and I think what you said Paige about the little things are the big things is really important that uh, families need to spend the time building those um, interactions. Yeah, and I think recognizing recognizing those too. Like I think so many times we forget the little things because whatever that big thing is is our goal, yes. and we're just constantly <laughs> like we're not making any improvement. I want my child to be able to do this, and you just want so much for them to reach their full potential, and it just feels slow, and you feel like your goal is not coming. So if we can kind of step back and say what needs to happen before this, that can be my first goal. And then I think it was really more encouraging. Yeah, I like that idea of let's thrive in the moment here. And you know, that that big goal is there and we're Mm -hmm. working toward it, but having that abundant life right now can be fulfilling for your child and for you as well. So yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to Feeling This Life. Please consider subscribing to Feeling This Life wherever you get your podcasts. And please take a minute or two to give us your feedback and your ideas for future episodes by completing our survey, which is linked in the show notes. There, you'll also find ways to get in contact with us, and you'll find resources related to today's episode. If you'd like to support us in making more episodes of Feeling This Life, look for the donation link in the show notes. Please join us again next time for another episode of Feeling This Life.